morning, everyone. Good, Good morning. morning, Jeff. Good morning. How we doing? Doing great. Awesome. Doing well. Great to see you. Yeah. How was your weekend? Church it was good. Went, church, I yeah. trust church was good and church went really well. We had great. a great time of fellowship. Fantastic. Um, good service. Um, yeah, it was good. Good awesome. Sunday. Awesome. Yeah. Overall, very enjoyable. Yeah. Overall, fantastic. It was great. Yeah. Justin Oliver did a good job teaching the youth and. Did he? Um, what were you guys talking about? Ephesians two eleven through the end of the chapter. Yay! So, Dividing wall. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sounds good. Talking about certain characteristics we would hope to see uh, in the student ministry as a whole, and uh, and then yeah, I was working much more on the thesis throughout the weekend. So. How, how, how's the uh, master's thesis for SBTS? Yeah, going? I think I'm wrapping up chapter four. Sent that to you. Don't know if you saw that email. I did. I'll get to it. Yep. I, I mean, no I don't worries. know how quickly you need me to turn that around, but ASAP. ASAP. <laughs> I'll get done today. No, no, I I'll do it today, for sure. And then uh, I'm going to write just a short, under five-page, probably, conclusion in Chapter 5. Mm, oh, and then man. I'm Great. Sending it oh, off. So happy for so. you. <laughs> Me yeah, too. <laughs> Me too. Right on. It's good feelings. Well, we're, we're getting to the end of this book here, Strange New World by Carl Truman. And we're looking at the last two chapters. So for those of you who are listening, I know you've had questions about this, but this will be the last podcast for this particular book, but then we will be starting next week, uh, starting a new podcast. Uh, I it, we, We've got a range of subjects that are coming in through our survey that Michelle sent yeah, me. Yeah, keep an eye out for the survey. Mine got sent to my spam folder, so um, yeah, there, yeah. there might be a, an email from Pastor Jeff in your spam folder. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> if you want input on what we're discussing here in the podcast, please do look in your junk mail or whatever and find that survey. Take that survey. If you can't find it, email us. We'll send it to you. Um, but basically, I thought what we would do next week... What would be super fun uh, is if we start our range of topics that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, by talking about heaven. Mm-hmm. Heaven, the intermediate state, and also the existence of the soul. So okay. I think that would be something really fun for us to think about. And uh, I'll send you guys some material to read, to look up, <clears throat> to watch, or to look at. So we'll be ready for the conversation, but I thought next week we would talk about heaven, and the reason I say that is because for some reason, randomly, I have been getting all these sort of hits on YouTube of these very recent debates and discussions between theologians where apparently the the, the superstructure of uh, seminary, um, seminary teaching right now is leaning toward a denial of the intermediate state, a denial of heaven, and a denial mm. of the immaterial soul. Mm. And quite shocking, but I just mm. got down the rabbit hole and began to think about that and thought, well, that would be a good discussion for us to have, because I think we all are in agreement that there is an intermediate state mm-hmm. between the old creation and new creation, uh, between now and our final resurrection. Um, and I think we're all in agreement that there is a, a, a kind of dualistic view in the Bible of the material and the, the immaterial, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and that the, the two things are uh, interpenetrating, but not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that would be a good discussion for us to have, and then j- actually talk about the hope of heaven, because we have several uh, members of our congregation who either are not doing well, or in the mm-hmm. late 
stages of whatever disease they have, and and they actually are thinking a lot about yeah. <laughs> going on and being with the Lord. So I thought mm-hmm. that would be an encouraging. So if everyone's agreed about that, uh, yeah. yeah, let's yeah. do it. It's funny that you mentioned that. I had the most real, I was telling Laura this the other night, I had the most realistic dream yet, or at least in wow. my memory, of me dying. And uh, it was surreal. Yeah. Oh, you're kidding it, me? No, I wow. uh, contracted some sort of illness. And I remember like multiple people from the church coming by wow. in a hospital bed. And then I'm like crying with my kids on my lap. And it was, ooh, it was ooh, surreal. That's, dude. A, that's <laughs> a fun one to wake yeah. up from. Yeah. Oh. So I hugged her extra, extra tight that morning. But yeah. Poor, mm. Portentious. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> May okay. It, may it never be. Yeah. May it never yeah. be. We'll be praying that that was just too much <laughs> pizza or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. Okay, uh, we're looking at chapter eight. Chapter eight is really the culmination. I would say. I would say chapter eight is really. This is where we've come now in modern policy, right? Mm-hmm. So we've yeah. talked about the theories. We talked about Marxism, occultism. We talked about uh, the Cartesian views and Rousseau. So we talked kind of high-level philosophical. We talked about some of the activist groups that are politically uh, activists right now in in pushing sort of an anti-biblical, anti-authority agenda. Mm -hmm. We talked about a few sort of high-level policy things, but in this chapter, he really sort of gets into, okay, politically now, both in terms of Supreme Court decisions, in terms of, you know, uh, the fight in Indiana, uh, with you know Mike Pence and s- mm-hmm. some of the things that, in terms of legislation, have really come down and they've really taken on, uh, uh, r- really, really just sort of taken form in 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 uh, modern legislation. Um, so I don't really actually want to get too much into that. I think we have kind of talked about this, um, but there were some questions I had out of this chapter that that I kind of wanted to go over and get your 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 take on it um let me get there if i if i may um well i had i had none on this chapter actually it was the next chapter where i had my question my questions uh which is um what do we do about this you know like what what first of all what is our responsibility as the church Hmm. with respect to um, our engagement with culture, yeah. right? Our engagement with culture. So, the, so the first question that I had for you was very interestingly: um, Are we a counterculture, or are are we? I'm talking about the kingdom of God mm-hmm. on earth in the form of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Are we a counterculture, or are we the real culture? How do you see that? And how should we? And how would we? How would we prosecute that case? Like, how would we engage with fallen societies? Yeah. Yeah. Um, given your view, I feel like you know. I feel like this is a cop out me saying this, but I, I do think it's both. Thinking off the cuff here, I think that we Safe. are the real culture, <laughs> in the sense that, um, like we've been arguing throughout this entire book, creation <clears throat> matters. How you think about humanity from creation matters. Uh, we know that God is creator, sustainer of all, and therefore he has certain things that he expects of his creation. Uh, so in that sense, we are the real culture in that we are trying to live in light of that. Yeah, okay. In the same vein, since the fall, um, we understand that the world, the principalities of the world, this world is under, in, in some ways, Satan's control. He's still 
God, Satan, right? But right. Um, so then, therefore, we are countercultural to all that seeks to oppose the kingdom of God. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I, would, gotcha. I would say that ultimately the kingdom of God is what is going to prevail over all cultures. Yeah. Mm. Which means those who are living, trying to align themselves with the kingdom of God, right. are ultimately living according to, to reality. And mm-hmm. though other cultures exist, uh, that which doesn't align with the kingdom of God within those cultures um, are contrary to reality. Yeah. And so we do have the real culture. And yeah. in having the real culture, we are counter to that which is false. Sure. So you landed on a both end too. I, I would <laughs> You're saying there are points more real. heavily on yeah. we have the real. <laughs> yeah. We have yeah. the real the emphasis there. How, how does, can I ask you this? Have you guys all read The City of God? By Augustine. I have Augustine. Back in undergraduate. It's been a while. So he mentions the city of God in here, and Mm -hmm. I think I read it maybe two summers ago again. Um, And I kind of, it just jarred my memory. I thought uh, Augustine's case was quite good. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, I didn't agree with every perspective in it, but I thought this is pretty good, man. We, We are... I mean, if you're not a citizen of your country, you can't really say this. The Greco-Romans couldn't say, well, we're citizens of Rome and <laughs> we're citizens of heaven. Mm-hmm. They only had one citizen citizenship, actually. Yeah, 90% sure. of the culture were only citizens of heaven if they were Christians and were not citizens of their country if they, <laughs> if they weren't Christians. They were the populace, but they were not citizens. But I think what he's getting at there is if you're a citizen in your country, then you're a citizen of the state. You live in that reality, and there are points of contact in that reality with the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And But ultimately, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. the kingdom of God. And what we are trying to do constantly is to reform society in that direction. We believe yeah. not only in the reformation of the Catholic Church, right? So mm-hmm. we're all Reformed Christians here, Protestants, good Protestants, but we believe in the reform of culture, hmm. <clears throat> and we believe in the reform of culture based on the principles of that kingdom that is uh, that unseen realm hmm. that is coming and is already broken into the human world. Hmm. And so, do you see do do you see a role for the church in the reformation of the culture, Pastor hmm. James? Yeah, I think. <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, going off of what Daniel and Ryan said, as we engage with culture, um, we are the true culture, the biblical culture, which is God's way. And then as we engage... So God's, way, culture, God's way is always the right way. Right. And it's <laughs> always going to win, right? Yeah, it's all, right? It is going to be the end. Right. Um, and we, we know that. Um, and so I think as we engage with culture, our job as Christians is to... Um, I heard Sinclair Ferguson recently said... Um, talking about marriage, that we're supposed to tell a better story as yeah, Christians, right. a biblical story. Uh, Augustine, uh, according to Truman, he makes the point that Augustine would make the point that Christians make the best citizens. Yes. They make mm-hmm. the best, right? You're, in a sense, you're telling a story of um, that's better and different than what the world's after. The world is after empty hollows of broken cisterns, um, yep. that, and they will never be satisfied with what they are chasing never. and pursuing. And what we're saying is come to the God who can satisfy and live for him. Right um, be part of a church mm-hmm. where you worship with others who are satisfied by him. Yeah. Um, and so I think our job in reforming culture... Um, 
yeah, is, is living out the Great Commission, making disciples, teaching them to obey Jesus. Oh, yeah. And in yep. doing that, God will build his church right. uh, however he sees fit, calling the elect into that church. So let me ask you a follow I, I agree with you. I liked his point about, you know, Christians make the best citizens, Christians are the best soldiers, <clears throat> Christians are the best married couples, I mean, Christians are the best senators. We're, we, you know, because we have the values of the kingdom of God mm-hmm. uh, that we can bring to bear on any human system. I mean, obviously that's true, but let me ask you this, though. Follow up to that. Mm-hmm. Is our primary role, is this really a question? Because I really don't know this. Um, surprise. One thing I don't know. Just, just, just kidding. One. I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I really, there's a lot I don't know and a lot I've learned in this process. But, but is our primary role the reformation of society? Or is it the primary role for us to restrain the inevitable, inexorable march of society, human society, toward its own destruction. What do you what? think, Daniel? Mm. Uh, so I would argue, Sinclair Ferguson, that we don't have the better story. We have the true story. Now, sure. in in terms of quality, truth is better than falsehood. Mm-hmm. I get that. Um, but everything that is true in culture, because it mirrors Judeo-Christian values, is still true. So either it is either a reflection of the true story or a perversion of the true story. And yeah. every and we've been talking about this on Wednesday night. Everybody lives according to a story. The yeah. the plot line of beginning, conflict, climax, resolution is ubiquitous. It 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 expands every cultural border from those who don't have written language to those who have like the Western canon. Sure. That plot line. There are no good stories without that plot line, and it's because it's a reflection of God's plot line: creation, fall. Redemption yeah. and restoration. Yeah. Right? So we have the true story. Mm. And so anywhere where culture lines up with that, it's a reflection of the true story. Right. And anywhere where it doesn't, it's a perversion of the real story. And part of our job is not just to resist or to restrain. I think we should be building culture. Yeah. Right? I think sure. that's part of the creation mandate mm. is to go into the world and and make more of it than what it was. And I think that's part of God's of Christ's redemption of the of uh, in in the the uh, uh, Great Commission, where He's reaffirming this: Hey, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've instructed you. It's not a hey, just go resist the decay. It's go build this. Sure. And I think yeah. I think two thousand years of history makes it clear that that is that is ultimately like god's project yeah. now we seem to be in a period sure <laughs> a period yeah. of decline in right, that right, for sure right um and so yeah. there is an element of oh hey we got to be salt here yeah. we gotta we gotta preserve salt and light we gotta preserve city that which on a is, hill yeah, in a dark world we, we gotta preserve that which is good salt's you know preserving influence as well um but i think as a consequence of of uh kind of the the rapture theology of hey god's going to evacuate us out yeah. of here before it gets bad sure is a uh well we'll just let it get bad yeah instead of no we're gonna we're gonna continue to to try to make that construct stuff with with yeah. you know good building materials that yeah. survives well i think there are two extremes we have to avoid there and i would say daniel we have to avoid and i don't mean to disagree with you i just want to dialogue on this 
I think we have to avoid Christian triumphalism. I think we have to. There's no, there's no reading of the book of Revelation, in my view, <laughs> that leads us inexorably to Christian triumphalism outside of the martyrs being avenged by the return of Christ. Yeah. I mean, that's their hope. Their hope is the souls under the altar um, are crying out, how long before you avenge our blood? Right, And so the hope of the Christian, ultimately, is the consummation of new creation, which has begun in us, no yeah. doubt. Um, and then in a more detailed study of Revelation that I undertook this last year, for about a year, I, I'm more convinced than ever that the church is just not giving the—the the, pastors are not giving people today a theology of suffering, They're because— mm-hmm. The thing is, we want to escape suffering. Mm-hmm. We want to. We want the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, <laughs> right? And that's fantastic if you can get it, <laughs> if you can yeah. have it. But the truth is, is that, like that book teaches, the pursuit of faithfulness unto the death, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because we love not our lives, and we were faithful to the word of the testimony, right? The testimony of Jesus, His gospel. So that so the way in which now God prepares the bride in that book, He prepares the bride through their suffering, mm-hmm. and that suffering is the onslaught and the persecution of the world against the church. And that theme in Revelation is in it, it's inescapable. Totally, they're led inexorably to their defeat by the beast and the false prophet, and then God's uh, redemption of them after He dissolves the world. I mean, yeah, it's kind of, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't argue for, uh, Christian triumphalism in, in the way that I think sure. you're envisioning it. Uh, but there is also a Christian defeatism. Well, that was that the other totally, pole. I yeah, said, I was, I was thinking, totally well, we have to avoid two things. One is yeah. Christian triumphalism. The other is Christian defeatism. Yeah. Right. And I, and I agree with you. I think, I think the great commission is more than just, Hey, go get converts. Yeah. Right. That definitely is there. Go baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's conversion. Uh, and the and by the way, the Aramaic word for discipleship is the word shawala, and there is only one word for conversion and discipleship in Aramaic. So when Jesus spoke that, he would have meant both things. Yeah. He w- discipleship is or entails conversion, hmm. but it also entails us teaching people to obey. All that Christ has commanded, but you got to have disciples to have culture, to have biblical culture. Well, and 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 I think he's, you know, as we're pointing out on Wednesday night, everybody is a disciple of something. Yeah, you know, there's there are there's no neutrality when it comes to you know, there's yes. nobody walking through this <clears throat> world completely unaffected by ideology or culture or anything like that. And yeah, so, no way, no way. Um, I think I think some of the hesitation that the you know. Gospel Coalition folks in that sort of sphere have towards oh hey let's build culture is the is the myth of of well we could we can be neutrally for everybody when the Bible makes it clear there is no neutrality you are either for me or against me you right. are either you are either constructing ideologies yeah, that are exalting themselves right. against the knowledge of Christ or you're tearing them down yeah like those are, there's only these these two options. And uh, and I get that. Hey, we don't do this in the way that the world does it. 
Right. Right. We aren't, we don't, we don't bring it at the edge. We're not supposed to bring it at the edge of the sword. And some of the, the, you know, the gross atrocities of history have been for sure when the church has wielded the sword, you know, to, to, to impose culture. Well, medieval Catholics. Yeah. So, so uh, the, so I understand that there's a, Oh, Hey, let's not, let's not associate ourselves with that. Yeah. But, um, but I want to go back to the rapture because you brought up a really interesting point of view about the escapism, the escapist yeah. mentality of rapture folks. Let's just suppose for argument, and this is just for fun. This is just a thought experiment. I'm not, don't, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Right? <laughs> like, don't, don't hear me saying that I'm affirming, you know, full on pre-trib rapture is or whatever. But let's just, for the sake of fun here and conversation, imagine that the pre-trib story is true. Mm-hmm. And that the whole church, like everyone in the church, is just going to go suddenly missing and leave the culture without the church. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. would happen to the culture? Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the church is functioning as such a preserving influence that uh, it, you know, the, the thought would be it would just become... I mean, it'd be unimaginably terrible. I think yeah. people in that view are hopeful that the goats suddenly become sheep, right? Yeah, like, right. And I just don't know. <laughs> I'm just not there. Well, think about it this way. Let me put it another way, and I'll 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 pass this off to James. Um, right now, with the church uh, that is existing in American culture and has had such a, a sort of um, uh, a, a really glowing history. Like we, we've had great awakenings and we've had lots of church plants and lots of revivals in our country, lots of people coming to Christ mm. through various ministries and through the church. But right now we're struggling with a culture that is just spiraling into insanity, moral mm. and spiritual insanity. What would happen if we were to suddenly go missing? I mean, what, how, how would how would there be any restraining force in the world at all to keep the world mm. from total moral oblivion and uh, actually just destroying themselves? Mm. Sorry, apart from I mean, the grace of God. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, the I common mean, grace yeah. of God. I mean, not, not much. I mean, I want to be facetious and be like, well, in that position, don't the two prophets show up at that point? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the so, two witnesses <laughs> of Revelation. Um, if I'm keeping my like my timeline correct. Yeah. 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 Great. Uh, so at that point, you'd have some restraining going on where two prophets come and are preaching, and then they're killed, and then they're resurrected, and then uh, so on and so forth through the tribulation period, however long that takes place. I haven't looked at that timeline. Well, time. then, then but, there's like uh, international <clears throat> rejoicing. Over yeah. There. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think you would have, you'd obviously have a spiraling um, a, a degradation of culture. You know? Sure. But even that, when I think think about that if the church is removed despite God's general grace. Um, so if he removed his general grace, then all it's the end of the end, right? Everyone yeah. goes to their yeah. worst oh, of the for worst. For sure, yeah. Um, and so it's like but, apart from God's grace yeah. causing that particular event to open their eyes in some way mm-hmm. and turn to him, it has to spiral further. It mm-hmm. would. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Well, this is what, I, what I'm getting to is, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what, what, what role, as I'm reading his prescription for us, right, to go out and be good citizens and try to reform culture, he's su- such a good reformed theologian. Mm. And it's like, well, of course we want to try to do all of that, but some of us are trying to do that now, and the culture is just drinking <laughs> darkness to the yeah. dregs. So, but but I, what I'm getting at is the tension between our desire to do everything Daniel said, right, everything you said, to reform culture, to go out and create culture, good Christian culture. Mm-hmm. But then also we're called to restrain it from its evil. And I think we also have this restraining um, vocation where— Do you think that, that the he who now restrains reference in Thessalonians is the Holy Spirit, or do you think it's the uh, uh, God, God through the church— the Holy Spirit through the church. I, I don't know about that. I really don't. Um, because I can't imagine that it is God taking away the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is uh, ever-present everywhere. So maybe what he means there is the manifestation of what James was talking about, common grace. Yeah. The Holy Spirit brings a sense of common grace. So maybe that's what is being taken away. But I can't understand how somebody could come to that passage and think, no, the the restraining force there is the people of God, the Holy Spirit in the people of God, and the the people of God weren't here. And again, I'm not advocating that view. I'm just saying, I'm just just trying to imagine a world without the church. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to imagine a culture or a society without the gospel being preached at all without us yeah. <clears throat> preaching the values of the gospel at all. And this mm-hmm. is where I get to his prescription mm-hmm. is more similar to what, what, what Daniel was saying. Yes, let's build good things. Let's do it in the name of Christ. Praise God for that. But man, also, we, gotta, we have to understand that the, the world hated Christ, and it's going to hate you. Mm-hmm. Jesus suffered at the mm-hmm. hands yeah. of people who hate God, and they hate the truth. And if you follow Jesus, if you follow yeah. all that he's commanded, they're going to hate you too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's like that for the master, it will not be for the disciple. That's yeah, right. right. The servant is not greater than the master. And that's, and that's, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, that's where Truman starts in his prescription yeah. at the yeah. end, the yeah. last chapter, right? He starts with, we do not stand in the pulpit and preach, come and be momentarily happy yeah. <laughs> or be content or don't suffer, don't have hardships, right? We say, come bring your brokenness, bring your misery to the God who can give misery purpose. Yeah. Um, right. And, yeah. and and that's what we preach. Um, <clears throat> we, we preach, and they will hate you. Don't and, you think uh, that his criticism that we preach a kind, and I thought it was very accurate, we kind of subtly preach a kind of non-charismatic prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Like we always attribute the prosperity gospel to char- these crazy charismatics on t- that we see on TV. But the fact of the matter is, is that many of our churches, we, we in practice, and I mean, in principle, we practice the same thing. Yeah. We're, we're all about comfort. Yeah. We're all about the creature comforts. Like, we, we want to make things accessible and easy. We want to make discipleship just sort of comfortable. We, want, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I think about where's the line? Like, where do we draw the line to teach people, no, discipleship is not about your personal happiness, yeah. your pursuit of happiness. That's an American value that you've imported right. into the church. Your discipleship well, is about the joy in the Holy Spirit uh, under tremendous suffering, yeah, and, conformity and, to Christ. Yeah, and I think that that the I think that there is an element of cr- Christian triumphalism that should be embraced. We're going to win. 
in the end. Yeah, that's Amen. right. Right? We're gonna like Amen. the book's yeah. been written. We've got the we've got Revelation and, and twenty sense, through twenty two. If I may right? amend your statement, we are winning now because even though we don't necessarily I know I don't, want Christendom again, like we had in you know, uh between four hundred AD and the Middle Ages, even though we we may not necessarily want Christendom again, we are winning in the sense that souls are being won to the Lord. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind a new Christendom. I, I, I wouldn't mind a, I definitely wouldn't mind a more Christian country, but, yeah, like, but I think without the presence of the Messiah on the throne, correct. Uh, r- yeah. running that system. But that triumphalism... There's no Pope, there's no papacy, there's no leader who yeah. can properly run yeah. it. The, the reality of that triumphalism is what you said, is giving people the... the it's triumph through suffering. Mm-hmm. It's not triumph through... Triumph, you know, it's not triumph sure. through through you know dominating victory over you right. know every political opponent. It is that concept of if you look all through the Book of Revelation, if you look how Jesus conquered the the, I mean, where it says yes. in First Corinthians, had the had the the rulers and authorities yeah. of this world known what they were doing, they would have never crucified the Lord of Glory. That's right, but they didn't because right he he was. Conquering through suffering. Well, well, you're and, exactly right about that. But that's he didn't, 1 Corinthians two eight, and but he didn't remain dead. But but right? that's like that's the, that's right. But that's what he's telling the Christians. There is, this is how you look like yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. The way you look like Jesus uh, is is you suffer under great persecution while you maintain the unity of the faith within yeah. the church and within the culture mm-hmm. as you're a shining beacon in darkness for what a unified fellowship is supposed to look like in Christ. So, so the whole idea here is, and then we get to First Corinthians 15, and it's all about the resurrection, man, the hope of the resurrection. I want to talk about that next week, by the way. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, he does criticize exactly what you just brought up, like this idea that we're going out into the world and, and we're just going to be sort of uh, preaching this happiness gospel. Yeah. This got this yeah. sort of uh, joy through <clears throat> as uh, uh, becoming a disciple. Yeah. By having all your your desires fulfilled. Well, you should. So there's a book called uh, "Slaying Leviathan" by Glenn Sunshine, and it's kind of a. I think I've already mentioned it on here, but one of the things that he points out is when Jefferson penned that coined that phrase, mm-hmm. "pursuit of happiness," he was talking about uh, sort of Aristotelian concept of happiness which wasn't just unmitigated self-indulgence and, and joy, mm-hmm. whatever brings you joy. It was moral excellence yeah, right. was what was considered happiness sure. in, in that view. It was a, you have to have the freedom to pursue virtue. Yeah. And so happiness has now been, we, we've now culturally defined yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And in fact, in chapter eight, the, uh, the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just totally embodies how that that concept of of moral excellence, the moral excellence, the pursuit of virtue, yeah. mm-hmm. has nothing to do with with how we are interpreting that phrase of, yeah. of happiness. And we've imported yeah. that into the church of of you know why? What's your number one point of dissatisfaction in your life? Any kind of discomfort or or impediment to sure. to, to be a state of euphoria. But yeah. isn't this goes back now to the bigger picture here? Is that we are breathing the air of a radical self, yeah. of the radical self expression that 
as a culture we bring into the church. I mean, we yeah. kind of we kind of just sort of uh, drink in everything the culture is telling us and, and has for us through media. That we come into the church and sort of expect those things in our sermons. Right. And yeah. the sermon didn't make me feel good today. You know, somebody yeah. said that to me. I'm like, the sermon is not there to make you feel good. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you. There is not one second while I'm preparing that message where I'm thinking about, does this make people feel good? Uh, I'm preaching the word. So um, so I want to ask you this question. Um, He mentions the first thing that he prescribes for us is to become consciously aware of the subtle compromises that we are making in the culture. Can you think of other ways in which, other than what he mentioned, like if we did just did a self-diagnostic, how are we accommodating culture versus versus confronting it as the true kingdom of the true culture from heaven how are we how how might there be some ways in which we are accommodating culture and what i mean by that is not that we have comfortable chairs and air conditioning i mean (laughs) those things are neither here nor there i'm talking about the values of the world that we are trying to placate in order to sort of make people uh, a little more amenable to our message or mm. our programs or whatever. Yeah. I, I think we've been hitting on it, and this is part of the quote that I wanted to read in a moment. Uh, but the expressive individualism has so infiltrated our Christian thought, and he hits on it a little bit as well, that um, – we find the church, you know, rather than truly being motivated, I think he said some, by theological conviction, mm-hmm. we find the church that either makes us happy or we feel comfortable at. And, and naturally, there might be some things to community yeah. and uh, discipleship, right? But I fear more often than not that the motivation isn't as much uh, true Christian fellowship and discipleship, uh, but rather. I like that music or oh, you know, yeah. uh, something yeah. else. Because he says right. here by this by uh, Philip Reif in 171, formerly if men were miserable, they went to church, right? So thinking back through history, so as to find the rationale of their misery, they did not expect to be happy. This idea is Greek, not Christian or Jewish. Such a notion is incomprehensible today. We as Christians intuitively go to church to feel good, perhaps to meet friends or sing uplifting songs, whether traditional or contemporary, or to have our minds stimulated by a good sermon or our ears edified by mu- beautiful music. And he goes into, like, there's something obviously to our emotions, but uh, I think that's in part why I'm uh, a big advocate of church membership. It, yeah. it mm-hmm. formally commits you to something, right? Are you Where aware? we've had, uh, yeah, we've had... <laughs> I wasn't aware that you were a big I am. fan of church uh, membership. But how many times have we talked, at least amongst pastors and elders, about uh, people in particular sins, and we have no recourse to dialogue with them. They mm. are approached by us, and they simply leave, right? Um, and well, it's difficult. Well, how many so, times sure. how many times do you have yeah. somebody come into your office and ask for advice and then just not apply it? Yeah. Because yeah. they see no... Oh, man, yeah. They go, oh, I don't think... I, I'm judging that that's not going to make me happy. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I could... I mean, I, I would not name them, but I had a couple few years back who came into my office, and they... I mean, they wanted help with their marriage, and I I listened to them for 10 minutes, and I thought, and I'm not a marriage counselor. If you come into my office for marriage counseling, you've come literally to the worst place, because I'm not (laughs) going to give it to you. I'm going to disciple you, and I just Mm -hmm. said, here's what you need to do. You need to do these three things. You need to do these three things. It'll fix your marriage. Goodbye. And uh, they just left. Yeah, they didn't want to do it. 
Like they, they mm. wanted me to sit around and listen to them argue with each other for, for an hour every week, right? And just yeah. mediate the argument. And I've been in these situations so many times over 30 years of ministry, and I was not about to do it. I was like, I already know what you need to do. Here's what the Bible says. Go do what the Bible says. And they just didn't want to do it. And so they left our church. And it wasn't mm. like, I didn't have recourse. Like you were saying, yeah. I couldn't say, yeah. hey, man, you know, you're, under, you're in a state yeah. of church discipline now because you're disobedient to yeah. the Word. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see I see what you're saying. And, yeah, there. and to be fair, like I don't I'm not mentioning the recourse for any benefit to me. No, right. No, the no. the recourse is, is that this expressive individualism where they can just church hop or to go somewhere that makes them happy, it ultimately stunts their growth as a disciple yeah. Yeah. because they are never confronted uh, with the opportunity. Listen, to grow. we have people in our membership right now, people that <clears> I could <throat> name, you would know them, but they are in our church fellowship right now at Christ Community Church who've left other churches because people who were in open, known sin in this church, who would not receive the elders' instruction, who would not receive the elders' correction, just left. And they went to that church, and yeah. the elders there wouldn't do anything about it. And so yeah. I agree, membership yeah. has incredible utility, yeah. mm-hmm. not, not just for either disciplining members or, or discipling them. That's what yeah. discipleship is, it's discipline, but yeah. also the incoming members, the membership um, interview that we do, where we ask people, where'd you come from? Are you still members in another church? You know, Uh, were you disgruntled when you left there? Because you can't uh, bring bring that cancer here and then get it into the bloodstream of our church. You know, that's just stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so this church across town wasn't doing this. And so that couple just said, man, we can't we can't be a part of a church that's not shepherding its people and in it, this yeah. important mm-hmm. aspect. And I, I preached on this a, a few weeks ago. I struggled with I struggled for a long time with the concept of church membership. Yeah. And looking back, that struggle was really over. I am happy to submit to the, the general idea of church authority. Yeah. Not quite as happy to submit to a specific church's authority, yeah. because there's some <laughs> interruption to my to my autonomy and my you know. And can I uh, ask you a question about that? I wanted to follow up with you about that because yeah. I thought that was the most interesting story. I did not know that about you until you preached on that. Hmm. But I wanted to ask you, and I never did ask you: is, is was there a little mixture of reasons for that? I mean, was it on the one hand you wanted to maintain your autonomy, your own personal authority? But it, was it also just kind of at the time you're sort of learning Reformed theology and you're thinking about the Catholic Church and you're oh, thinking, yeah, yeah. you know, this and, authoritarian and Episcopal. Again, and again, yeah, the uh, the to the, the reasons that I said of like, hey, you know, they, they would always say, oh, it's like a wedding ring. You know, it just sort of associates you with this particular body and be like, isn't the Holy Spirit my seal to the yeah. church? Why do I need right. why right. do I need to, to, the church to put another ring on top of the ring, you know, Interesting. kind of thing? And and so so those are still, you know, arguments that, that you know I, I I consider. But being a pastor and the whiz, like having stepped to the other side and realizing, oh, I can't I can't walk with somebody in their discipleship if they're not willing to to listen yeah, to me no. right if they're not willing no. to to allow me to walk with them yeah yeah and the membership the act of coming into membership even though it is filling out a form and having a, a small interview interesting is an act of hey I'm submission I'm I'm opening up my hand to to like walk with you right you know and uh, so I think the wisdom of it though you know 
the the biblical form of, of formal church membership is is pretty obscure yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in in scripture, um, <laughs> according to, to to me, not according to Ryan, but uh, or <laughs> or scripture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you're right, Ryan. The, the uh, <laughs> I do. I think there's such tremendous wisdom in it because I am served by yes. by going through an act of formal submission. Yeah. Right. When I confess my sins yeah. to another person, it really indicates my willingness to confess to God. Right. When we when we uh, uh, submit to a local church, yeah, it's it is a a tangible expression of our submission. Yes, to, it is. You know, yes, to the, it is. The church. Yep. As a whole. And that's so. why when I come to church, I'm not looking for the church to make me happy. Though I certainly am not opposed to being happy at church. You yeah. know me. I'm a I'm a closet charismatic, recovering charismatic. So I love celebration. I love <clears throat> being smiling and being full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That certainly is biblical. Um, and I'm happy with my friendships and everything else here. That's great. But when I come to the fellowship and I gather with the faithful, mm-hmm. I'm looking to be discipled. Yeah. Which. I, which like when I listened your to your sermon, happiness. I yeah. was really, cha- I was personally no challenged. I was writing down all kinds no, of yeah. notes in your sermon because it was really nailing me, man. And I was like, my, ha- what were you saying? What, uh, that's, about that's your true happiness. Your true happiness is conformity to Christ. Yeah. yeah. Because in Christ, there are pleasures forevermore. Despite yeah. circumstances. Uh, yes. That's yeah. whatever you're I mean, I'm going to go right. Christian hedonist on you. <laughs> but, but, but that's counterintuitive, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, because uh, you look at the Hebrews passage of all these, all these, you know, here the Hall of Faith who they're martyred and sawed mm-hmm. in half, all kind of stuff. <laughs> but like, what happens? They're given the crown oh. of glory. You know, they're mm-hmm. given this right. tremendous reward in the yeah. end, and uh, we want our reward now. And that's the that's <laughs> you know, the picture. We I think argue. that that is the that that is the that's right. Yeah. yeah, I would say that is the picture. That Hebrews eleven picture is the picture of all believers. The, the prophetic community in Christ mm-hmm. in the book of Revelation. <laughs> That's wanting the reward for Jesus. Yeah, no. But I would say... I'm not it, seeing that as much. Throughout, throughout <laughs> the book of Revelation, it is your joy mm-hmm. is that you know that Christ is going to avenge your blood <laughs> when he returns and brings the absolute smackdown on the nations, brings them under his subjection and his rule. I mean, sure. it's that's your joy. Yeah. So, and I, I, well, Ryan and I are joking over here about... Well, I do have something to say, but I'll... Okay. No, no, you say, <laughs> well, I was, yeah. I'm tying us back in a way. Because it was originally Jeff's question of something to the effect of, do we have a responsibility to build culture, right? And so I've been marinating on that ever since. You're, and you and I have had tons of discussions yeah. about this. And yeah, your end times view will uh, apply mm-hmm. to how you ultimately decide. But I think that you've you know convinced me more. I'm I'm more open to the idea of culture building. Um, you know, if the Lord is leading certain people that way, I just for me the accent, the emphasis always has to be on the church and discipleship. Like I feel like sometimes the conversation comes through changing institutions for institution's sakes, but I only see that happening through individuals who can then change the institution. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. In light of the Great Commission, and so that's where like. The, the, the fact yeah, that Christ right. promises to build his church, uh, I rely heavily on that promise, right? In pastoral ministry, we all have to. I just want to be, I, I think I'm slower to make the jump that that ultimately means that everything that we are saying, that we are doing in light of Christianizing the culture is ultimately for Jesus. Sometimes I wonder if it is actually oh, yeah. for, if it is actually for 
making my life a little bit easier to get there through. are plenty there are yeah. plenty of people whose motivation mm. is exactly that yeah right. but if your motivation is let the, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering what's the reward of his suffering the nations all the people like, yeah. <laughs> you know and yeah. so if you and I don't if, see that as the nation itself I see that as the individuals from all nations it, and it tribes, is individuals you know? from all tribes does that make sense? Like I, I put the emphasis is. on the church, not the culture. Well, that, of the that's nation. why the New Testament puts the Fine. like but uses language like this. You know, we, we are ambassadors of the gospel. Well, you can only be an ambassador if you have an embassy in a foreign land. Like the yeah. embassy is your culture in a foreign culture. Yeah, but and, and but but it's not. It doesn't mean that we're. But not I do want to build a Christian school. But what you're saying. Yeah. But what yeah, you're yeah, saying. Yeah. But what you were saying on Sunday is what? What is the gospel? <clears throat> it's the royal announcement. Yes. That God's rightful king has come. Right. And so as ambassadors, we're showing up and saying, hey, <laughs> kiss the sun lest he be angry, yeah. angry with you. <laughs> saying, hey, we, we are delegated authorities yep. coming and saying, this is this is yes. the sovereign territory of God. Yeah. And he will have it. Yeah. It's the reason that you know when Paul went through Rome, he said, I don't need to go there. The flag is planted there. The king's going to conquer there. Yeah. I need to go to the place, yeah, yeah. to the hill that hasn't been, you know, um, so, but I think what but, Ryan, but is, think what Ryan is, is saying is absolutely true. A lot of times there is the, hey, I don't want a culture that doesn't like me. And it would be that's easier right. if, if it liked me, you know, yeah. and, sure. and my particular But I think what Ryan is also saying is that, and I agree with this, because I think his view is equal to John Piper's view, and I think John Piper is right about this. We begin, the kingdom of God is the sudden inbreaking of the kingdom into, a, into this realm, right? It's the inbreaking of the kingdom into this world through the changed lives and hearts yeah, yeah. of the individuals among the nations who have been changed. So our, you, you can't, you can have Christian values, you can make yeah. Christian laws, Judeo-Christian laws, but ultimately what you want is Judeo-Christians. You, yeah, you want yeah, people yeah. in the Judeo-Christian tradition yeah. who have been born again and, res- yeah. and experienced mm-hmm. the renewal of the <clears throat> Holy Spirit and are living out Jesus's teaching totally. in the culture and in the world. And I think what you're trying to say yeah. is it starts there. It starts yeah. with the Great Commission is the discipleship yeah. of the individual. Yeah, at least how I'm understanding it. And like I said, like I'm not against the, the Christian school, you yeah. know, the Christian business owner by all means. Christian yeah, go, politics. Go for it. Yeah. I'm just saying sometimes I feel like, you know, and I'm in these circles like you, I, I feel like the conversation starts with culture, 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 or institutions yeah. rather than how right. do we affect the, you know, the changed heart that yeah. gets this there. So that's, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. I would agree. He's what, one of his other prescriptions here is that we are to, it, it, look, you can't get away from the fact that we have choice today, right? You can't get away from the fact that people could choose to go to your church or they could choose to not go to your church. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So even within Catholicism now, people have <laughs> the choice yeah. to pick which parish, I don't know what they call them, which Catholic church they want to go to. Um, but I, w- I would say he makes this point that we are to choose, and I'm paraphrasing him here, to plant our lives in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. If you're going to make that choice mm-hmm. and you have that choice, mm-hmm. plant yourself yeah. in a church that is focused really on discipleship really yeah. on teaching people a theology of suffering mm-hmm. and the joy yeah. uh, of the Holy Spirit in the midst of that, and teaching people actually to be disciples of Jesus through teaching them the Bible, teaching them the gospel. Yeah. Challenges. What are our challenges? Challenges with that? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, people are so quick to leave, yeah. uh, like we've been talking about. Um, 
you know, as I as you read this chapter, you kind of come to the conclusion you could summarize Carl Truman's point probably with Paul's words in Philippians and in Romans as we've studied as basically get over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, even as pastors, get over ourselves, yeah. right? We are not the center of attention. We are not the main player in the story. Mm. It is Christ. My Glamour Shots posters are on the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was an inside joke from Sunday. Um, yeah, so I think commit, you know, and that's something that I shared with yeah. Daniel when we were doing our interview a while back of, you know, I was blessed to have parents who who emulated that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grew up going to the same church for 18 years, mm-hmm. um, and that taught me, and it wasn't easy. Um, yeah. You know, there yeah. were a lot of hardships that my parents had to suffer through, right. and the church suffered through, through poor shepherds, usually. Yeah. Um, and they emulated to us the importance of you stick it out. Yeah. as much as you can. Now, eventually it did come to a point where they weren't able to. Yeah. Uh, so, there are, so there are reasons. There are reasons, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. There, there think, are reasons. I think if that... We're, sometimes we're not we find them a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think for the most part, you, I think you just have to enter in. I'm going to stick it out. This I'm going to work through it. But, but isn't that it. an illustration, though, your parents being the paragons now of people who are committed to the bitter end? Like, mm. it, despite the fact that they, ha- they, they had multiple, really, I understand from their story, bad shepherds, I mean, people doing bad things. Mm-hmm. But this is what commitment, this is what a marriage looks like. Mm. This is what commitment looks like. And we just don't have a culture today. We don't have a society today where, where the, the ethic of commitment right. is where we start. Yeah. Well, right? If, it's, yeah. I can have sexual relationships with this person mm-hmm. and then maybe to next weekend I'll have sex with another person or you right. know maybe I get divorced but you know yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. if I, if I don't like the marriage anymore if it doesn't make me happy I'll just get divorced I mean we yeah. just don't think about commitment being right this was one of the this was one of the really neat things about growing up in the military growing up in the military has its own set of negatives <laughs> um, but when we were living overseas we tried initially to get involved with a local church in the community. Right. And honestly, the Anglican church is just spiritually dead. Really? I'm 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 willing to call it certain parts. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah, certain there uh, are some evangelical ones. There, there, yeah, work. <laughs> yeah. No, I uh Calvin uh Robinson. Um oh. but even he he's this he's disfellowshipped from the Anglican Church. Mm. He's a member of the international yeah. like Anglican mm. body. Anyway, or the Church of England. Yeah, he's yeah, a member of the international. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um so we tried to get involved in the local community. It was just it was lifeless. Mm. You know, the the spirit of God was not there. So we wound up getting involved with the with the chapel, the the military chapel on base in a place called West Reislip. And it was a 30-minute journey from our house to get there. And the way that military chapels work is every couple of years, a new chaplain from a different denomination uh, yeah. comes through. So and you so, get exposed to a lot of traditions. So you get exposed to a lot of traditions, and you have this expat community uh, who who are coming together around the faith? Right. They have a huge variety of backgrounds. They and have interests. they they have a, a wide variety of denominational backgrounds and experiences. Um, in the Protestant, you know, they have a Catholic chapel and a Protestant chapel. And um, but what was really interesting is you have this incredibly diverse body of believers being led poorly because there's really 
that, uh, we had some great chaplains, but really there's no longevity to it. Yeah, like, sure. There's a constant, you know, the shepherd's constantly being wow. changed, changed out. And what formed there was a really incredible expression of what I think hmm. the, the, the body of Christ is supposed to be. People who are bearing with one another's idiosyncrasies and faults and, and you know... Preferences. Yeah, and preferences. They're bearing with one another for the sake of being mm. committed to a community because some of it was desperation. We need, you know, we mm. need, we need this. Um, but it was this really beautiful picture of, of the church committing itself to each other, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, regardless right. of, of leadership struggles, regardless of, yeah, yeah, of, yeah. you know, different backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, and I loved that. It was, it was yes. an experience of, we are choosing this community. That's together. great, man. That's a great, yeah. that's a great story. You know, I have to tell you, Daniel, <clears throat> that was my experience when I came here to Christ Community Church. I mean, I, frankly, I was shocked there were 230 people still in this church <laughs> over the you know looking at the tenure of pastors that they had in the in the headaches that they had with that uh really really just you know poor hiring choices and then people who performed poorly but then i when i got here i thought man there's a really strong core christian community here there are people here that are really committed to each other regardless of who the guy is pre- preaching. Where they're committed uh, to each other in Christ. They're committed yeah. to each yeah. other in the Lord as the family of God. And that really drew me. I thought I can be a part of a church like that. Yeah. You know, and then coming from the seeker friendly tradition, which always chafed against my my hmm. uh, theological instincts, I I longed for it. I longed for community, not an audience. Yeah. And that's why in the seeker friendly tradition, if if a pastor leaves half of your church will leave. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just is true that that church is probably going to fail <laughs> uh, because uh, everything is built on what we talked about yesterday, that cult of personality. Mm-hmm. This person's personality drives this ministry. And so there is no real sense of commitment in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't really a church. This is just an audience. Yeah. Yeah. This is like people who showed up to see a rock concert and a TED Talk, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And... And, and that's the thing that I, I came to realize. I just can't deal with that anymore. I don't mm. want that anymore. I want church as a family. Mm. And if we have to grow slow, and if we have to grow intentionally and baptize a fewer, a, a few fewer, less people, <laughs> few fewer, <laughs> uh, then we're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I want disciples. I want to plant people's life in this community with intentionality. Yeah. Would, um, would yes, you go ahead. consider... Um, is a good church worth moving to? Yes. What do you mean? So you're struggling to find you're struggling to find faithful churches where you live. Um, oh, yeah. Is it? Uh, that's what I did here. Yeah, I is, moved is here. It, it's worth. Is it worth uprooting your your? Yeah, career, for sure. your everything oh, yeah. to be. I would say for me personally, I can answer that to say I think my whole family has tremendously benefited. Would I rather live in North Idaho than Southeast Idaho? One hundred and fifty percent. There is nothing about. I mean, no offense if you grew up here, but there is nothing about Southeast Idaho that I like better than no Northern offense, Idaho. James, but, uh, uh, yeah. Other than the, uh, other than the sunshine, I do. I re- actually, my arthritis is much better here than it was up there. But I will say this: uh, I would I do it again for the sake of my family and for mm-hmm. the sake of my own 
health 150 yeah. percent mm-hmm. why because the church here mm-hmm. like when carrie and i got here and then a few years later we both went through cancer dude we had a family mm-hmm. and those people literally kept me uh sane mm-hmm. you know with with their care and their concern so yes i would say 100 yeah. percent. yeah yes I would yeah. totally agree. Yeah. 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 It comes down to priorities. What's our top priority? Christ. Yeah. And we're citizens of heaven. And so if you're in a place and there is no church that is Bible-believing, yeah. Jesus-loving, God-fearing, yeah. then yeah, move. I think the sad thing is that I the opposite right about that. actually happens more where people, people are comfortable with their income and maybe their kids have some good friends, mm-hmm. but they're willing to sacrifice more of their spiritual life in Christ mm-hmm. for those things right. rather than be motivated by the most important thing is our involvement in the community of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, weather isn't everything. Let me tell you, we have. It's people... a lot of things after that winter, though. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but here's the thing: we needed that moisture and we needed that yeah. snow because it provides a natural fertilizer, and there are all kinds of good things about it. But let me say this: mm-hmm. um, when pe- when I see people moving away from coastal culture, you know, from like a coastal atmosphere to here and they come here and they're like oh man we hate the winter but we hate the 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 culture that we move from more like mm-hmm. we just can't do that anymore we can't be taxed mm-hmm. to death we can't have a woke ideology shoved down in our throat and imposed on our kids i mean you know yeah. and so they move here but i've been astonished by people who have moved to this area and actually moved to this area with the intention of going to our church yeah. Uh, to me, that is, I say, the answer to that is 100%. Yeah. If, you, if there's a church and you feel like, man, I want to be a part of that community because it looks mm-hmm. healthy, it looks like they're preaching the Word, it looks like they're grounded, anchored in the gospel, absolutely. Go there, work at Starbucks, find a job. You can mm-hmm. find a job. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he says on page 176, if I may just switch tracks here a little bit, he says, I really like this paragraph. This is good. This is good stuff here to end the book with. I didn't feel like it was front-loaded. Actually, starting on page 175, he says, this brings me to the second lesson we can learn from the early church community in terms of its day-to-day details might look different in a city from a rural village or in the United States from the United Kingdom. Uh, But there are certain elements that the church in every place will share, worship and fellowship, Mm. gathering together on the Lord's Day, praying, singing God's praise, hearing the word read and preached, celebrating baptism and the Lord's Supper, giving materially to the church's work. These are all things all Christians should do when gathered together. I love this line. He says, it may sound trite, Mm. but a large part of the church's witness to the world is simply being the church in worship. And I thought, absolutely, it's not the only aspect of our our witness to the world. We got to go out into the world. We got to share the gospel. We got to start spiritual conversations and have very uncomfortable conversations with sinners. And we have to do all that too. We have to invite them to church on Easter. We have to do everything that we do. But but sometimes we don't think about our worship as a witness, and we don't think about our worship being attractive. Mm because it doesn't offer the world what they already have. Yeah. Right? You hear a lot about, in the secret church, I can tell you, you hear a lot about what's called the attractional model. Yeah. And the attractional model is, make your worship service look as much like the culture, right? Mm. So that people will not be offended by doctrines like justification or you know, Christian words, or yeah. you know, just make it look as comfortable and accessible as possible 
so yeah. that you can sing sort some of, of their songs to open up with. Yeah, so yeah, them, yeah, yeah. Sing some secular songs <laughs> and and then and then what you can do is later you'll have an opportunity to introduce them to the gospel. And what he's saying here is no. Mm. What is yeah. idiosyncratic, like the idiosyncrasies, the idiosyncrasies of our worship, the being a counterculture within the culture. That is attractive because they don't mm. already have it. The church's job is not to give people what they already have, but to mm. give them what the gospel offers because they don't already have it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? His thought there. Um, we've got. I've got an example from this weekend. I'm, I'm going to try not to share anybody or anybody's story and get anybody in trouble. But uh, we had a. I had a member of our congregation pull me aside yesterday and say, "Hey, I brought my friend." who was Mormon and they cried through the entire, the entire time of singing. Wow. Right. Um, and just so you know, we didn't have like a big band yesterday. We had an acoustic guitar and, and And it was beautiful. It was, Um, it was simple and beautiful. And and so you have this room with, with uh, a bunch of people who love Jesus singing true and wonderful things mm-hmm. about God mm-hmm. and this person who doesn't who doesn't know him right right is having an experience oh, yeah. is being confronted by it somehow right. they're having an experience and whether it was a conversion experience or if it was just another step in their you know sure. in their process yeah. I'm, I'm I don't know but um that's not something that you see outside of of the church. We don't, as a culture, we don't sing together. Right. Right. We don't, the only time we ever. Oh, no, really, you really don't. I mean, where do people sing? Happy together, birthday. Right? Happy mm-hmm. birthday. When when a cake or at is, a concert, if they go, you know, you go see Journey or. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> sure. even then, which there's, is a good idea. Though. There's an element of uh, you know <laughs> of we've come to see the performance and be part of the performance. Um, whereas here, it's the hey, we're coming together yeah. to encourage one another and yeah. to lift praises to God, mm-hmm. and and it's a unique, it's a in our in our culture, it's a unique thing, um, and you know the lyrics that we sing, yes. the content of what we are sing very exalting um, is different than a journey concert. Yes, right. You know, um, not that creativity and music isn't a isn't a, a beautiful expression of the image of God in, in humanity. Common grace, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. That there was a reality, there was a true that the person was confronted by something truer. Yes, and it clearly spoke to her soul. And, yeah. and dude, this is exactly why right here. I mean, that's Rich's testimony. <laughs> he yeah. came in here, and for the first time in his life, Rich Tyson experienced. Everyone will see this on when when we are done editing it. He experienced a transcendence. Yeah. And that's what the Christian faith does. Christian faith and gathering in our worship exposes people to a transcendent God who is actually in our midst pouring out his Holy Spirit mm. in the worship and praises of his people. And there is an experiential aspect to that. It's not just pure emotionalism. It re- really, There really is a kind of... It, it shows us, and especially when it's scaled down. And what I so pr- appreciated about yesterday... I'll be honest with you, is that I just don't think we should have a worship band every week. I, kn- I know you want to have that, ideally. I mean, that's the that's the standard. That's your goal. I'd like to have the option. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> enough volunteers yeah, yeah, to have the right. option. <laughs> but I'm just saying, 
I I mean, it is a little uncomfortable when it's just like you and Kristen, <clears throat> but I will say when it's... Why, Jeff? Why is it uncomfortable? <laughs> Do you not like the way that Kristen... No, you're, you guys are amazing. <laughs> you guys are amazing. But I just thought having three vocalists in a, in a djembe and uh, the guitar yesterday, there was something so pure and just something so congregationally focused. Mm. Yeah. And I just think that's beautiful. And it, and mm-hmm. it was very moving yesterday. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't need all the Rasmus that yeah. Rasmus has. And the week before, we had a full full band. And it was fantastic. And I literally had to turn my in-ear monitors down because the congregation was singing so loud. It was so hurting loud. my ears. Yeah, that's it was awesome. awesome. They were that's blowing great. the roof off. But it was, it's, yeah, it's that idea of the transcendent experiential nature of, of a living God. Right. But that's not the only thing, too. Like, when when... You do. I can't tell you. I can't begin to tell you what it means to me to watch Kathy Robinson worship. Oh man! Yeah. Do you think she's having a transcendent experience yeah, at this no. moment? I I probably wouldn't. Yeah. And yet here is this disciple of Jesus who is faithfully walking through suffering. Oh and, man! And and that or does, Gloria Gill in her nineties yeah. sitting yeah, there that does worshiping the Lord. That man, does that's... something that the to me. And to, to people that the, the culture doesn't offer. The culture can't you know? offer it. Mm-hmm. They can't offer the truth. They can't offer transcendence. Sorry, they don't Kathy. have any of that to offer. Mm-mm. And that's yeah. what we do offer. Fundamentally, I, I just want to get your feedback mm-hmm. on this paragraph. <clears throat> he kind of sums that up by saying, many Christians talk of engaging the culture. So that's the talk. Let's engage the culture. In fact, the culture is most dramatically engaged <clears throat> by the church presenting it with another culture. That's such a great way to say it. Another form of community rooted in her liturgical worship practices Mm. and manifested in the loving community that exists both in and beyond the worship service. And in a day in which all the canons of tradition are being trashed, they're Mm -hmm. being burned in a dumpster fire by our university systems that are basically, you know, where you have these sort of woke bureaucrats this woke bureaucracy who is now exponentially, the cost of education is 400 times what it was 10, 15 years ago. People come out of these colleges and these universities as indentured servants yeah. for the rest of their life to the cost of their, their, their degrees. <laughs> and, then you, and then you have a situation where they come out and they've just been indoctrinated <clears throat> that all the canons of authority, tradition, mm. All of those things incinerated. Nothing mm. existed before Marx. <laughs> that's yeah. what the postmodern. That's why the postmodern modernist is maleducated. Mm. The postmodern not, postmodernist is illiterate about anything that existed before Marx and Foucault. Mm. Yeah. And so now you've got this, this sort of army of people coming out of these universities who are quite literally illiterate of tradition. Mm. And this is what the church offers them. We offers them a place where they can come in and experience liturgy. Mm-hmm. They can come in and be connected yeah. to their past. And if we learn anything about the medieval era, it's that if you, if, if you deprive people of this connection with tradition, what you do is you thrust them into a new dark age mm-hmm. where, they don't, where their knowledge isn't connected to anything yeah. and they just don't know anything than their present need or their yeah. present pressing concerns mm-hmm. or their present desires. This is the truest thing in the whole book right here. I thought that was the best yeah. paragraph in the whole book. Your thoughts. 
Yes and amen. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the section we kind of skipped over, but we're coming back to it of we should learn from the ancient church. Yeah. You yeah. know, I encourage people, if you don't want to go too far back, go back, read the Puritans. Sure. Um, this, go back further, read Augustine. Do well, this you have be, any, I mean, uh, is there some go-to Puritan literature that you would say, read I think that if, you're, if you're starting out, I think you should. The first Puritan I read was Keeping the Heart by John Flavel, uh, which was, it's a really good introduction that was recommended to Great. me by a book I read. Um, and then after that, it was Christian Soldier, Thomas Watson. Awesome. Um, yeah. And then after that, you are you can start kind of branching out to whoever you want. There's I some am really currently good reading right now, uh, I will pass this resource on to you, Introduction to the Puritans by Ed Heinsen mm. and uh, J.I. Packer, mm. who are the editors of that mm-hmm. book. Oh, nice. And so Liberty University guy, Regent College guy. And yeah. that is the best book on introducing the Puritans to you. Mm. And man, the Puritans were... Yeah, they were it. J.I. Packer's yeah, uh, Pursuit of Godliness yeah. is another really good yeah, one to kind of get you, Frank. wet your whistle. Um, uh, a new uh, recent book is, um, I can't think of the name. It's Dane Ortland's book. What is it? Um, Gentle and Lowly. Gentle and yeah, Lowly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, if you want a devotional yeah. stirring of the affections. That's, that I mean, he quotes is so a lot. in the Puritans, yeah. yeah. That yeah. is a really yeah. great yeah. place to start. But I think, yeah, I, think what else? I just love the, the <clears throat> we... we <laughs> We are a historical church, yeah. and we can't detach ourselves from that. We right. should be familiar with yeah. those things. Um, we should have a general, maybe, I mean, a good study would be a general working of church history. So that well, we understand I, well, well I, think, I think you're right about that, because where people get into trouble, this is where religious movements get into trouble, uh, is, is they claim to be a reform or a restoration or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. And they and they become completely disconnected from historic Christianity, right. right? And when we become completely disconnected from, he mentions like the Westminster Confession, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm assuming he also means the Council of Dort mm-hmm. and all these other, you know, the Heidelberg Confession, all these other confessions. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, when we don't understand those creeds and those confessions, and we don't know them, mm-hmm. uh, we can actually create a new religion. Mm. That and, has nothing to do with Christianity, by the way. And yeah. think of, but th- and think That's of how we're talking about from. being. We're talking about being countercultural. Progressivism has a chronological bias of hey, what is past is not is not good, right. you know. Uh, and that's postmodernism. It, and it's difficult to try to convince somebody who's caught up in politics, caught up in in using these you know, activism and, and pr- progressive means to do cultural transformation to say, Hey, maybe the answer is to go is to go and walk yourself through yeah. some of the creeds and catechisms. <laughs> yeah. Right. To go and back, to right go back and that. look at that, you know, and, and, uh, that's not, that's not something that we're going to default to. And he, and he suggests that here, part of our connection to the, yeah. to the, to the yeah. ancient church is yes, the scriptures, but it's also the creeds and confessions. Yeah. Can, can um, I make another suggestion though? Cause you can find all of these Antonicene fathers. They're called the Antonicene fathers. What that means is these are the church pastors. Okay. Who came before the Nicene Creed, Creed mm-hmm. or before the the Council of Nicaea yeah. or Constantinople, and so they're called Antonicene for that re- reason. Um, and their books, their writings are very short, mm-hmm. so you can look them up. You can read Clement of Rome's mm-hmm. letter, 
and it's like reading one page. I mean, this is the thing is you actually can find these things online. Mm-hmm. So they have, there are websites that curate these things and you can read the writings of Justin Martyr, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like Justin against Trifo is it Justin against Trifo. Uh, or you can read Tatian or you can read these early apologies. You can read their writings and it doesn't take you long at all. And you get a sense right after the apostolic age of what the apostles left the church. You, <laughs> they left them. <laughs> yeah the word and they left them tradition and they left them these things which i would argue from the reformation we are carrying through we are Mm -hmm. carrying on and uh, you can you can kind of read these things for yourself and it's so important um to ground yourself in church history like that Uh, all good suggestions Mm -hmm. i want to go to josh josh what is the challenge of the youth or just maybe people your age too because like you're how old are you um, <clears throat> I'm only 20, so. So my son is older than you. My, my son is 22. I have a 19-year-old who's turning 20, a couple months, and a uh, 17-year-old who's turning 18, a couple, couple months. And I'm just trying to think of their challenges, the challenges of their generation in in wanting a cultural Christianity, but, but from your perspective, your generation, or maybe the youth under you, what what are they struggling with in terms of importing culture into their desire for easy, happy, fun yeah. Christianity, when sometimes Christianity just isn't any three of the <laughs> any one of the three, you know, or all three. Yeah. Well, I know Truman in the book offered up the question of how has the culture leaked into how we're running our churches? Yeah. And the first thing I thought of was like the seeker sensitive movement. Yeah. And it's essentially just taking Christianity and then appealing to the senses of happiness. For and sure. It's like you could call it a consumer sensitive movement in a way. Um, and I think that's really impacted um, kids um, my age and I think even a little older too. Okay. In the sense that, um, like for me, it's different. When I like read the church fathers and the Puritans, like it's just life giving. They're my favorite like subjects. Um, and their lives were up. hard. Yeah. No, they're hard. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I think in that sense, um, we lack. Um, for one commitment, like we talked about earlier, but also the ability to to work hard and to sacrifice um, for that knowledge. And so I think like literally just the literary right. um, challenge of reading the Puritans and about church history is a big turnoff. Just um, just even the challenge of reading reading John Owen. Yeah, I haven't and, done that mm, quite yet, but yeah. well, mm, let me tell yeah. you. Oh, every Owen's paragraph. Don't start with Owen. It's <laughs> yeah. so compressed and dense, yeah. literarily. But what what what's so amazing like about it? The back. point that you're making, I think, is that the challenge of doing that actually disciples you. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. challenge of trying to wade through it makes me a better mm-hmm. reader, makes me a better thinker. Mm-hmm. You know, no, definitely. And then I think also, like we've kind of brought up, is just a cultural um, rejection of the past yeah. and of tradition. Right. And so um, not only do I think that these authors and like the Puritans and church history sounds unappealing, um, I don't even think most people are aware of them hmm. um, or the value that they could hold. Right. You know, do, I think that's part of our do, job. Have you seen, and this point. is what I've seen, and, and Dr. Rick Lum really corrected me, because when I first came to church here, I, I didn't know that much about the Puritans other than J.I. Packer, you know, his writings. But, uh, and I remember one time I used the word... He, he pur- was a Puritan to you, right? <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Uh, well, he's a scholar of Puritanism. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know, like, I didn't know a lot about them. I hadn't done a lot of reading on the Puritans, you know? Um, and so I used the word Puritan as a kind of a slang word or a slur. 
like a pejorative. Mm. Like, uh, I was like, that's pretty puritanical. And Rick was like, well, actually, you know. <laughs> and he just gave me a whole history lesson right there. And I thought, ah, I want to study, I want to study mm, the Puritans. Yeah. Because what he helped me to see was the, the word itself has just become a byword. It's become mm. a slam. Yeah, uh, yeah. This person, I've heard this recently where people like in the media have said, well, he's pre- pre- pretty puritanical. It's like, actually, the Puritans believed in all of Christ for all of the world. They, they drink a lot of beer and they would <laughs> church discipline you if you weren't having sex as a married couple. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah. And they practice rigorous democracy. And so yeah. they, so anyway, yes, you're right. It's, it's almost maleducated and illiterate about the historical heritage of the church. That's one of our biggest challenges with our kids. So how do now do we lead youth ministry hmm. when there's this overwhelming need to have fun, which of course we want to have fun. It's, it's certainly not irreligious that. to have fun. <clears throat> but how now do we lead a youth ministry where we actually challenge them with the truth, challenge yeah. them with the gospel, challenge them with, and you know, Kevin... Uh, Grimes' whole thing is do hard things. Yeah, yeah. right. He he's handed that book out to every kid he knows. Mm. Do hard things. That yeah. this will change your life. Yeah. If you don't just orient to your life around fun, you orient it around challenge. Well, yeah. I think I think some of that is if I talk to most kids today in the youth ministry and ask them to give me any kind of definition of what the natural law is, they would look at me like. Boy, you were right about that, man. What are you? What are you talking about? Right. Um, and so I think it goes further back than just church history. It goes mm-hmm. back to creation and Genesis. discussing and discussing mm-hmm. you know the the concept of of natural law, natural order, giving people that again. Um, and that's one of that's one of uh, Truman's prescriptions in here is mm-hmm. is to is to help people see. I mean, and that and I know that. In philosophy and so, well, in the social sciences, the concept of natural law is abhorrent. Oh, it's abhorrent. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I mean, it is. Uh, Fulcultism has taken over. Yeah, it is beyond. There's no vile. such thing as natural law. Um, hmm. But uh, to give to give people a robust view of that as well, to connect them to the history of humanity, yeah. the history of creation, not just the history of the church. Hmm. Um, well, I think you're right about that. And natural law is such an important place to start because what natural law tells us, what the which our society is trying to indoctrinate our kids to think otherwise, is he talks about physical restrictions. Like you can't just go up on the top of the roof here and start flapping your arms and think, well, you're going to take off like a bird. You're, there are bodily limits. when it, There are natural laws that govern your body's self-expression. Mm-hmm. And so you would think that would also be true sexually. Yeah. yeah, morally. Yeah. The, the, or those, morally. He calls it, it would extend to the moral realm as Into well. Into the moral realm, which includes our sexual ethics. Yeah. But I think of the presence of, when I was reading that, I was thinking of like STDs. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking of, uh, oh, gee, man, if you got syphilis in the 1800s, your face would fall off. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your eyes would just mm-hmm. corrode out of your head. <clears throat> All your soft tissue just deteriorate. Yeah. So it was terrifying to, to get syphilis. And I'm thinking of HIV in the 80s. You know, like if you got AIDS in the 80s, yeah. between the 80s and the late 90s, that was an absolute death sentence. You were you were going to die. But there's a, I mean, generally, you would you would... This generation who are currently in youth ministry are far more affirming of homosexuality and transgenderism, things for like sure. that, right? I would say so. Yeah, oh, for sure. And, uh, and so some of what happened leading up to this is, you know, so 
Preston Sprinkle was one of my professors, loved him to death, made me a Calvinist. He's now questioning his own Calvinism. <laughs> but like um fool. One of the <laughs> no. he, do, he oh, he's not a fool. Oh gracious, he's most he's incredibly smart. Um but one of the things that he repented of in a blog once and actually kind of called out was, oh, hey, like the church can't use the, th- the term. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Right now, granted, it's dismissive. It is. It's not, you know, it, it, it's not engaging rigorously. It's in, a pejorative. Kind of, right. Yeah. But there's a it's reality. A there's a reality to it of, hey, we look at the created order yeah. and, and say, hey, this is, this is the, the order. This is the natural law. Um, and that has been that, you know, that phrase of it's, you know, it's Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve has been used to be completely dismissive of the natural order of things, right. you know, say mm-hmm. that that's not a legitimate, that's not a legitimate critique. And you go, mm-hmm. and, and that's been bought into. Um, but Ryan, what, what have mm-hmm. you seen? Yeah with the kids that you're dealing with today, and I'm sure it's very diff- different when I was in youth ministry. I was Preston, in youth you should come on this blog, by the way. <laughs> I was in youth Podcast. ministry for uh, yeah, whatever. seven years. Yeah. And it not ever would have ever occurred to me that one of the problems that I would face as a youth pastor is trying to explain the gender binary and that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that there are actually males and females. Our culture has changed so much. So what are you guys, in your discipleship of teens... <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think it's creating a culture within the group that, um, you know, we have what we know is true, right? And so in light of that, we're not scared of questions. We yeah, want the kids yeah. to be asking questions. We want them to feel like they can ask us those questions or the things that they might not be able to ask elsewhere. And we're totally open to that. But at the same time, they know where we land concerning these things. They know yeah. our understanding of the gospel because we communicate it. They know our biblical sexual ethic because we communicate and we yeah. reinforce it and we keep teaching it. And that happens in a variety of ways. So I think that it's really just, and this gets a little bit to what I wanted to get to on 178, but it's yeah. talking to them from different ways about how you build an entire theology. Because I talked to them multiple times about all of us have something in the scriptures that rubs us naturally the wrong way. Sure. Right? Will you submit to it? You know, will you deny yourself and, and take up your cross and follow Christ? And and that's a question that every disciple of Christ has to ask. But yeah. um, so I think that's part of it. That's what we're trying to do from a from a ministry side. Um, the other part of it, and we could beat this horse horse to death as well. There's a gun reference, but uh, <laughs> parental involvement makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing in the youth group. Yeah, parental involvement where parents take seriously the role of discipling their kids and teaching them the truth about God and teaching them what. Uh, natural law means, and, and that's just over the course of their lives. It's not all of it in one sitting, of course. But It's teaching, and <clears throat> if I may interject one more thing, it's also shielding them from drinking in yeah. the media yeah. culture. Because like, as soon as we gave our kids smartphones, mm-hmm. when they were like 14 or whatever, yeah. it, 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 it consumed their mental space. Yeah. And it was like we had to have times when we just turn the smartphone off, plug it in. Yeah. You don't have access to it until <laughs> yeah. you get to school tomorrow. Because yeah. because what happens is is that the, the ubiquity now of mm-hmm. this worldview, and it just permeates our culture. Totally. And they're drinking in culture. Yeah. And one little prayer over a meal is just not yeah, going to do it's not. It, and it's, yeah, so it's teaching, mm-hmm. it's modeling, it's having wisdom and, and how you parent. Um, but I think I'm, what, what I'm clearly seeing is that those parents, and this is not foolproof, right? We, we know that the Lord is in charge of salvation, but those parents that are seeking to engage their kids, 
uh, in the sense of discipleship. Um, typically their kids handle what's happening in the culture a little bit better yeah. and, and from a better biblical worldview. You mean parents that are being intentional to disciple their kids at yeah. home have these conversations, yeah. but also really... Uh, Generally speaking, they're not the kids I see leaving over frustrations over what we're teaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. Um, so raise your kids yeah. Christianly. Yeah. And if I could, real quick, just on one. So you mm-hmm. mentioned your favorite was on one seventy six. Yeah, it was. I think part of my favorite was on one seventy eight. Uh, one of his recommendations in this chapter is just teaching the whole counsel of God. And we, we've been talking about this, but yeah. he says kind of halfway down a little bit, yet there's a danger here. We can become so preoccupi- preoccupied with specific threats that we neglect the important fact that Christian truth is not a set of isolated and unconnected claims, yeah. but rather stands as a coherent whole. This is what like you're trying the, to hit uh, on. Worldview. Yeah, yeah, in your <laughs> worldview class. And this is what was, yeah. I'm thankful, hammered into me in seminary by your mentor. My mentor is just that, our entire theology is a, is a fabric. It's, a, it's a woven together. And when you start to pull on one thread, the entire thing can come apart. And he yeah. was so good at just recognizing what that one thread would entail down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says down here at the bottom, in short, we can stand strong at this cultural moment and address the specific challenges we face only if our foundations in God's truth are broad and deep. Um, and it just made me think you cannot begin to engage the culture or want to engage the culture until you've truly engaged with God yeah. and you mm-hmm. understand how things are fitting together and why you can speak to these cultural issues. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's right. I think the next line is actually on 179 where it says, this means that the chaotic nature of our times, following on ex- yeah. precisely what, he's, what uh, Ryan read, this means that the chaotic nature of our times is no excuse for abandoning the church's task of teaching her people the whole counsel of God. And I know that you get pushback on, hey, why don't you preach on these topics more? Why don't mm-hmm. you preach? On... My preaching on creation or my preaching on judges yeah, right. is is preaching on those topics. They you're, inform, you're, you're exactly they inform right. those topics. Yeah. So, the issues yeah. of life come out of the word. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to find this in our new series on Judges and Ruth is you, mm. you, these books, there's so much in these books that mm-hmm. feels so arcane. I mean, these just feel like, this feels like another world. It feels like Mars. We don't understand this culture. We don't understand their ancient Near Eastern worldview. Mm. Like, there's so many things in it that we, we confront in the text, and we go, what? What is that? And people come up to me constantly going, I'm worried about this book, you know? Like, I'm worried about some mm. of the stories in this book. How are you going to handle this? <laughs> it's like, no. Listen, every <laughs> issue of life that we need to address is in the Word. Yeah. Jealousy, it's all applicable. anger, yeah. selfishness. As Troy told me this morning, living ox-go. under our own authority. There's nothing new under the sun. There, there isn't. <laughs> and the thing Please that's going us. to strike people the most about this these books is the fundamental humanity of them. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that people really don't change. The human nature really doesn't change no matter what culture you're in. Yeah. You still struggle, struggle with the same sins and challenges, mm-hmm. you, sti- you still have the same God who hasn't changed that we have to live under his word. Mm-hmm. And so this is why I say, Sounds you know. Sounds pretty fascistic to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he's suffering. I think I would so, butcher um, that word if I tried to say it. Preaching the, <laughs> I almost did. <laughs> preaching the whole counsel of God. This yeah. is a challenge, especially if you're a New Testament guy. I don't know if you, preaching, if you have a favorite book or you have a favorite section of books in the oh, Bible. Is it, I, it, my favorite book is whatever book I'm preaching at the time. <laughs> whatever, yeah, well, but I, I preached I Genesis a couple years ago. And, well, good uh, to know, James. I, I usually try to go back and forth. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful instinct. I mean, it's something I need to do more of. 
But if I, if just if personally, if I'm going to default to something, I'm going to, I'm going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. I mean, mm-hmm. after this series, I probably will be in the Gospel of Matthew mm-hmm. once, cool. once we're done with David's life. Uh, just because I, historical Jesus is my thing. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I said he meant the Gospel of Hebrews. The Gospel <laughs> of Hebrews, yeah. Maybe. But in any case, uh, I think we do need to preach the whole counsel of God. The issues of life are in the Word. Yeah. And we need to bring them out of the text into life. Uh, any other insights on anything else he landed on? Or yeah. I think your point about natural law was fantastic. We do need to teach kids about natural law mm-hmm. and and its inherent restrictiveness to our mm-hmm. <laughs> restrictiveness to our desire to just realize ourselves in any way we want. Yeah. Um, um, James, you look like you yeah. have something. Oh, yeah. I was just going to kind of bring it back as we talk about all these different aspects, and, and even the learning from the ancient church, I think liturgy in church is an important aspect, or at least helping... And what our, do you mean by that? Helping our people understand the structure of our order of service on mm-hmm. Sunday mornings, that when we come, we're not just throwing scriptures up on the board and mm-hmm. picking random songs or It's not or a free-for-all. Right. intentionality. <clears throat> and one thing that I really appreciate from the Presbyterian tradition is the time of confession that they have mm-hmm. in their service every week. Yeah. Um, Confessing. Something that I've been trying to introduce to my people out at Ryrie and try to you mean do more sin or the apostolic creed or what? what a, a, a time of confession of sin. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. uh, and then and then just that reassurance of your sins are forgiven. What Christ. do you think liturgical order is communicating about God? What is it teaching us about God? Why why is liturgical order so important? Well, it'd probably be that idea that God is a God of order. Yeah, right. and that He. He desires to be worshipped a certain way. Yeah, uh, he doesn't just he prescribes. Yeah, he, he prescribes it right. Yeah. The regulative principle I think holds, um, and I think I, th- I think it's important. It's a good aspect, and I yeah. think it's something we should. It's a way we can bring some of this in. I mean, even maybe quoting some of the confessions as we've talked about sure. before. Maybe yeah. some of the catechisms, asking our people the questions: What is your only hope in life and death? Yeah, yeah. and then answering as a community. That question. Don't you feel like the yeah. modern um, casual church has lost a lot of this? Yeah, you know we've we've lost a lot of that, and I agree with you. I think liturgical order mm-hmm. does communicate God. Uh, God is a God of order, but this is what Paul tells the Corinthians when they're out of order mm-hmm. and they're chaotic, and it's just a chaotic mess. Paul wants to restore order because his rationale is God is not a God of confusion. Mm-hmm. God is a God of order, mm-hmm. and your liturgical order teaches you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, it teaches you to to uh, that reflex yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to think about God that way. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. um, this is why I don't like people not doing what we ask them to do in the worship service. They're going to be a part of the worship service. They need to follow that order. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I really appreciated I appreciated the discussion right at the end of. Um, we don't have we don't have Pollyanna optimism. Yeah, mm. we have true hope. Right, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I get really discouraged by in talking to some folks, uh, not I don't get really discouraged. I'm discouraged on their behalf, mm. is you realize they don't have hope. Sure, they are incredibly pessimistic about uh, the state of affairs, and it is just cause, in our country or what? Yeah, in our in our culture and the well, degrade of be. yeah. yeah uh, but it leads to a despair. Yeah, despair. It, it's not. There's no. There's no. Oh man, this is going to be really hard. 
but this is this is part of the adventure that God has called us, mm-hmm. you know, to be part of. This is this God was sovereign over your right moment on. of birth. So what is the pan, be, what know, is the panacea then for and, uh, that despair in order to get hope? What's what is the what is the shift in their mentality and, that? And it, it's that it's that concept of Christ wins. Yeah, He wins. Yeah, He wins even if you die. Mm-hmm. You yeah. win if you die. I mean, like, <laughs> sure, you know, sure. um, that, 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 yes. For me this to live is, is a, Christ, for me to die yeah, is gain. But this is a tough moment for yeah. sure. Especially if you were born in 1950, yeah. what you've experienced sure. from now, from then until now. I we think of our parents. Has got know? to be incredibly confounding and frustrating. And, and don't you, th- don't you think though, it's also, yes, I think, yes and amen. I think everything you said is true, but don't you think it's also people i think the doctrine that is under most assault in our culture today in our society is this that god is sovereign mm-hmm. that god is sovereign overall and that he is sovereignly carrying the story along to his outcomes his intended outcomes yeah. and mm-hmm. it is going inexorably there and there is i mean we can partner with it we can engage with it we, mm-hmm. i mean we can enjoy being co-laborers with god that's what paul calls himself but heaven's sake, we, man, God is on the throne, you yeah, know? And we don't you think that our, that our society just assaults that doctrine? So, yeah, we were talking about this in the worldview class about where do you see yourself on this plot line from beginning, climax, uh, uh, resolution, right? You got the rising action between the beginning and the climax yeah. and the falling action between the climax and the resolution. And most people see that they're in the rising action. Right. And it's like, no, guys, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> Redemption has been accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, it has been accomplished. Mm. And it's leading to final consummation. And we're mm. somewhere in the falling action, which should give us tremendous, tremendous hope. Tremendous yeah. like, hope. You know, the, 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 the conflict <laughs> has been resolved. The hero has succeeded. And we are now on our way to... It's all downhill from here. And mm-hmm. so finding, and so finding yeah. the hope of, hey... Like I've, I've been trying to get Kristen ready for this. Of the reality is, is that ruling that they talked about yeah. in mm-hmm. chapter eight. Mm-hmm. We all sitting at this table may one day go to jail right. in the next twenty years yep. for preaching a biblical ethic, the values of sexual, the gospel, sexual ethic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so okay, glory to God. Let's prepare mm-hmm. ourselves yeah. for a hard for a hard two decades. Or we may be fined, sued, or lose our 501c3 status because of it. But let's do it with the hope that in 20 years from now, there's a a, a genuine revival. You know, let's do it with the, hey, God's going to continue to to be faithful, or that he's going to come back and, you know... Or start a jail ministry. (laughs) Right? Like, And so I've been trying to get Kristen, hey, what's the worst that happens? Right. I lose my life, praise the Lord. Right. You know, what's the worst that happens? We lose our home. Mm Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, like we, we you know, f- for being being faithful, and and yes, yep. it will be hard, and um, and so building building some some expectation that the next twenty years is going to be really difficult. Yeah, yeah. With a, but we have the hope that that twenty years in God's in God's yeah timeline is is a, a blink. Yeah, it's a blink of an eye. Fantastic. We're going to end on that note. Guys, thank you for the discussion. Mm -hmm. And uh, next week, let's let's tackle it. Let's talk about the glories of heaven. Is heaven real? Are we going there when we die? 
Um, I think so. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. let's. Well, that's it. So, <laughs> all right. Let's, let's look at let's look at that subject. Let's look at the passages where we mm. draw that doctrine from, because mm. you know <clears throat> there are some about six about a half a dozen passages that talk about that. And let's talk about that issue, and let's talk about that and our hope of resurrection and why mm. it is that Christians tend to emphasize dying and going to heaven versus resurrection. Let's talk about that stuff. Okay. And that'll be fun. And I'll, Good. I'll pick it up there next week. Thanks, everybody. Yep. See you later. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for coming in.